Hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of the Scottish National Podcast. And with me today I've got writer, blogger, podcaster and all round decent person, Laura Bradburn. Laura, how are you? Uh, not too bad, thanks very much for having me on. I've been a regular listener so it's uh, a bit strange but good to good to be on now. Oh well, you know, as regular as you can be, be one issue, but hopefully hopefully this is a second of many, you know, and <laughs> hopefully we've uh, We've got another one left in this campaign. Looking forward to a playoff. But before we get into that, um, since the last pod, we've had two wins from two. A lovely 3-0 away win in Lithuania and a routine 2-0 win at home against Malta. Probably don't even need to talk about the Malta game that much. It was kind of just get the job done and we did it. So, fair enough. Uh, what, if anything, though, can we take from these games beyond the usual momentum? And what do you think still needs working on? Funny you should say about. I think momentum's the the big thing. Obviously, they say winning's a habit, and obviously it's not one that Scotland have have much of a habit of doing. But I do think that um, obviously the fact that we've won two games on the bounce now can only stand us in good stead for the couple games coming up. Um, I did hear a couple of pundits say though that you know with all the excitement of having done it and uh, the kind of positive feeling that there was around the team towards the end of the last couple of games just to kind of temper that a wee bit because really to be honest obviously Malta but certainly Lithuania as well there's without doubt the two weakest uh, teams in the group and really if we've got any hope of getting to any kind of major tournament there are teams that you would want to be beaten but having said that you know, to have done it in the relatively convincing fashion that we did over the two games, I would say there's there's a lot more to be positive there about than than there has been at previous um, occasions. So I would say while while I would be a bit cautious about being too overexcited, I definitely think there's plenty to be to be positive about. Yeah, I, I think the manner in which we beat Lithuania was quite surprising. Uh, I mean, like like you rightly said, they are. Uh, you know, basically the, the second worst team in the group. So these are the games that we should be winning. But I think maybe in years gone by that this would have been the kind of game that we maybe would have been quite scrappy in, you know, between maybe a one nil or a two one or again maybe more like Scotland, we would have faltered to a draw or a defeat or something. But the fact that we went there and won quite convincingly um, and dominated them really like from start to finish. It, it wasn't just a it wasn't just a case of it wasn't just a case of like having better players. It was the fact that we were also the better team, and uh, the fact it, it was it was maybe you know there were signs of it in the Slovenia game and stuff like that, and um, to an extent against England. But I think this was the first performance where it almost felt like we had to an extent like an identity that we were playing with, which probably helps with the amount of like Celtic players in the team, you know. Um, so I think I think it was it was it was just the manner of it, not just the three 0 scoreline, but the fact that it felt like a three 0 performance as well. Um, but obviously, the the first podcast I did was with uh, Stevie Greve, and he said at one point that he still thinks that you know, that despite the fact that we played quite well, that our midfield still gets bypassed quite easily. Uh, and I would probably agree with that. Uh, what, what what do you think there? And what what do you think are yeah the things that we still do need to work on leading up to these next two games? I think the I think the fact that the the midfield gets bypassed is definitely true, but that's probably as much to do with the quality of the teams we're playing against as it is to do with anything that we do. Um, obviously, a lot of the the sort of poorer teams do play a bit more long ball, which is naturally going to bypass our midfield. 
field anyway. So I think where we have to, you know, assert ourselves more in games is to make sure that, like you say, we play a bit more with an identity. And if that means trying to take a bit more possession of the ball and be in control of where it's going, play it through our own midfield, I think that's the only way that we can really guarantee that we can be in a bit more control of the game. So often when you're watching Scotland, they're, they're chasing shadows a little bit. And obviously that that comes with the territory if you're playing against you know teams of better quality, which there are a lot of teams in that bracket when it comes to being a Scotland supporter. But against your Lithuanias, your Maltas, teams of that ilk, you've got to be looking to control the game through possession as well as you know chances created. And I think... Even against Slovakia and Slovenia, they're definitely a better quality than, than Lithuania and Malta, but not nothing on paper beyond what we should be capable of controlling the game in. And I think against them as well as against the other two, possession is going to be the key, making sure that we keep a hold of the ball and we are the ones dictating the play because... You know, if you can dictate the play with the possession, then you're not leaving yourself as open to to attacks from from any of the talented players that they might have. You know, Hamšík or Vice or anything like that for Slovakia. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I think looking back at um, the first game against Slovakia away, which you know, obviously we, we lost that three 0 and it was uh, it was in close proximity when we lost three 0 to England as well. And I think it's interesting because when when you look at the the team. Uh, that will probably be starting uh, the next game. I think the only one that started the game against Slovakia last time was Andy Robertson. So even the goalkeeper, like ten of the team, is entirely different. And uh, I think I think the first game that we lost three 0 was the for me it was like it was just the absolute nadir of the of that first four games because we played in such a poor manner and even, not even just the way we played but when you look at the personnel of the team I mean we we played against you know uh, like Martin Skirtle and stuff like that and our front three if I remember right it was Matt Ritchie Stephen Fletcher and Robert Snodgrass you know absolutely no pace whatsoever in our attack and we only kind of looked decent going forward when we brought on Lee Griffiths and we were already 3-0 down yeah. so uh, it's kind of it looks like in the long term, we've sort of learned from our mistakes, and you know, if you look at the makeup of the team, like I said, ten players have changed, uh, and we are going more towards an identity. Um, I don't know. I don't really know what to expect from this game, to be honest. Um, but I think I think the main the main talking point really uh, ahead of these uh, next two games is that Scott Brown and Stuart Armstrong have pulled out the squad with injuries, uh, which is a big blow given that they've been two of our more standout performers over the last you know nine or twelve months. Um, the silver lining, though, with these injuries is that along with the domestic results of the weekend. I think these injuries have finally prompted Gordon Schracken to call up Callum McGregor. Um, I know that you're a big Celtic fan, so how important do you think he can be over the next two games? And do you think he may actually start, despite being a late call-up? Um, his performance at the weekend, uh, along with John McGinn, who plays for uh, Hibs, who's also in the Scotland squad, um, you know, they both scored two goals each in a 2-2 draw. Um, I would say that that performance is probably what absolutely just tipped it over the edge for Strachan to say, you know what, we are missing these two big midfielders. Everybody's clamouring for this guy. He's probably been right on the cusp of getting called up, but he just hasn't maybe quite done enough to convince him. But now he's uh, he's performed for a Celtic team that also lacks Brown and Armstrong and maybe Strachan now thinks, yep, let's bring him in and maybe he can replicate that for Scotland. Yeah, I, 
Callum McGregor's a bit of a strange one because on a, a personal level, I'm not his biggest fan. I think there's there's other players who contribute more to the Celtic team than he does and he doesn't always nail down a starting place even in the Celtic team. Having said that, he's got a lot of admirers amongst the Celtic support who feel quite rightly in some cases that he does a lot of the kind of... Uh, unglamorous work you know he can quite often be very very effective without grabbing the headlines which is obviously going to be difficult in a team where you've got players like Patrick Roberts, Scott Sinclair and Lee Griffiths up front you know scoring a lot of goals so it's maybe natural that he's not going to get those headlines but he is a very effective player he's very hard working he he very often picks the right pass even if it's a simple one and as we saw uh, at the weekend and throughout last season you know he quite often cropped up with uh, an important goal here or there so I definitely think he's he's worth having in the squad I would argue even that on recent form or certainly on the form of this season at least uh, if you were going to ask me would I rather have Armstrong or McGregor in the squad I would have said McGregor from the start off anyway so I don't know that the loss of Armstrong will be felt as keenly as it might have been now that you've got McGregor coming back in the loss of Scott Brown is obviously massive. He's um, been such an experienced player for, for Scotland over the years and particularly under Brendan Rodgers at Celtic. He seems to have this new lease of life. He's looking fitter. He's um, leading the line a lot better and he just looks like a bit more of an accomplished footballer. Again, though, having said that, I'm I'm a really big fan of John McGinn at Hibs and I think possibly the fact that both Armstrong and Brown are out might give McGinn the chance to get in and I would hazard the guess that he might make it in ahead of McGregor um, just because he's got a little bit more experience with the Scotland squad over the last few games and things like that. So I think I, I personally think that although Armstrong and, and Brown are such a big loss to the team, I think when you've got someone like McGinn there and you can bring someone in the quality of McGregor, it's definitely not as big a loss as it might have seemed at first. Yeah, to, to start with Scott Brown, it's not really that long ago where me personally... I wouldn't have really cared if he was in or out at all because he never, for a long time, and this is this is partly down to uh, the, the injury record he had, especially under the uh, the end of Ronnie Dyla's reign at Celtic. You know, he could never quite get to a hundred percent fitness because like an international break would come round and he would maybe be eighty percent, so he would maybe miss those games or he would play them, and then. The fact that he played them meant that he never quite got back to 100%. But now, since he, he took that mini-retirement, um, at the time, I was fine with it. Like I was like, fair play, you know, you, you've done all right for Scotland. Um, you've been quite a good captain, especially in those um, couple of years that Dan Fletcher was out of the team. Um, in terms of leadership in midfield, I thought he did a really good job. Um, but I was, I was like, you know, that's all right, fair enough we can keep going and we can move forward because it's a, it's an area of the team that we've actually got kind of decent depth in. But then when he came back out of retirement, initially my reaction was, you know, what, what are you playing at? Like, I thought it was actually kind of a selfish division, uh, decision in a sense. It was almost like he was coming back for this glory game against, uh, against England and the first two games weren't good enough for him or something. But I think that was kind of just a bit of, on my part, it came on the back of two kind of bad results. And um, I guess I'd, as a Scotland fan, I think it's the same as being like a fan of a club. Like if, if something's not going right, you just you want like a target to blame, you know, and, and it was almost it felt like he was an easy one. But since he's came back, he's played really well. Um, when he still does sometimes 
hit the odd wayward pass that you're wondering what the hell did he see there when he's like rifling it out of play over 60 yards but he is a miss and he's definitely grown into that role at the base of midfield um, under Rodgers and therefore as well under Strachan because he's, I think he's learned more in the last two years or you know, year and a bit under Rodgers than he has probably in his previous five or six years because he's, he seems to have just got this extra level of intelligence in his game. So the fact that he's missing, it does feel like quite a big blow. Whether Dad and Fletcher, it probably will be Dad and Fletcher. I can't really see anybody else that would maybe be a, a, a more natural replacement for Brown. But whether Dad and Fletcher can still do that job, we'll see. Um, I think uh, long term, sort of going back a few years, Dan Fletcher has been quite underrated, I think, by a lot of people. It's whether he's still got the legs or not. But, I mean, I've seen him a few times this season in the Premiership for Stoke, and it looks like he's still got it. He's still a good passer. He's still quite an intelligent player. It's um, it's whether he can do that job as well as Brown in terms of, like, dropping in between the centre-backs uh, just to give that extra man so he can play at the back a little more rather than just try to lump it up. And I don't know, but it'll be interesting. But I, I think I, I'm almost surprised at myself how much I'm kind of thinking or or damn you know scott brown isn't here but armstrong i think you're i think you're a bit right in the sense that maybe towards the start of the season maybe last month you would have had mcgregor in the squad ahead of armstrong because um i think near the start of the season uh, i think i'm right in saying there was sort of like issues going on with like armstrong's contract and yeah uh, yeah there was a big uh, there was a big dispute towards the start of the season or over the over the pre-season really where he was it looked a little bit like he was trying to use, you know, a, a move away as leverage to get a better deal, and and certainly for a lot of Celtic fans, they could understand why he was he was playing for that. But coming from from my point of view, he's he's really only been the kind of sort of top level player in terms of the Celtic team. Uh, in the last six months of last season. Before that, he really was up and down even then. He had a yeah, good six months definitely. and then he was trying to play for like a, an improved contract. And I think there was just a bit back and forth. And then now that it all seems to have settled down, he seems to be finding his game again. But certainly, you know, towards the first part of this season, I wouldn't have missed him at all. I think he was coming on to a game, so maybe it'll be a bit more of a miss than he might otherwise have been. But, but yeah, certainly him and McGregor. I don't think there's much to pick and actually I think McGregor probably just edges it. Yeah, I mean, and arguably in, in this type of game against Slovakia where uh, you would say that midfield is definitely one of their strengths, maybe, because McGregor's one of those type of players that I quite like and I think is quite rare, is that you, you probably could say he's a number 10. Like, he doesn't necessarily play deeper, you could probably say he's a number 10, but he's a very hard-working number 10 and like you said, he does a lot of the dirty work, he does a lot of the unsung stuff. Um, so I think the fact that well Armstrong's capable of doing that but I think that's maybe more more McGregor's natural game and I think it might be the type of thing that we need a little bit more especially if Scott um, with Scott Brown not playing you need that extra bit of I suppose guile you could say in midfield and I think McGregor will bring that quite naturally um, but yeah speaking, I, think, I think to not to not, be, to not be too sort of uh, I don't know, unintelligent about it. You want somebody who's going to stick a bit more of a foot in. And I Aye. think I think Fletcher, uh, sorry, not Fletcher, I think Armstrong probably is a little bit more of a, I don't want to say flair player because I don't think he's quite that good, but he's certainly more of an on-the-ball player than an off-the-ball player. 
Yeah. And I think McGregor is certainly somebody that, although he can create chances on the ball, he can make passes, he can take shots, he, he certainly, to me, is more able to stick a foot in and break up the opposition play much more than, than Armstrong would have been able to do. And like you say, without Scott Brown in the team, you definitely are going to need somebody who's able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll stop speaking of midfield. Uh, I know you're a fan of Serie A. You've been on... Uh, WFI's uh, Serie A sat down a few times, I believe, as well as the uh, European Football Index. So what can you tell us about Marek Hamzik, who is doubtlessly, I think, Slovakia's main man. I don't know what the hell I was trying to say there. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think he's their main man. He's definitely their best player, just probably from a, not not just a technical standpoint, but from a, a sort of iconic standpoint as well. And the fact that he is... I think a lot of these countries, you would say maybe if their whole team isn't full of stars, they've always got at least one talisman. He is absolutely their talisman. So, And I think, just in general, I think he's one of the top midfielders in the world. I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of Napoli over the last few years and um, given the, the role that he plays there, right in the heart of some of the best football on the planet over the last 18 months or so, he is going to be a danger man. And he did kind of, maybe not, grab headlines but he did sort of run the show against Scotland in the first game away where we lost 3-0 so what can you tell us about him and what are what are some of his strengths and if he has any what are his weaknesses Do you know he's, he's one of these players that like you say I would certainly put him in my top you know top 10 top 20 midfielders in Europe if not the world over the past sort of 18 months Yeah push nah. in top 5 for me yeah, Napoli, Napoli as a team are probably one of the most exciting attacking teams in European football in general. They've got so many goal scorers like Insigne and Mertens and uh, Milik either side of his injuries that he's had. But the thing that people forget about these players scoring all these goals as they do, they need somebody to provide them. And he is the ultimate provider. He's got so many assists. He's got so much ability with you know, defence splitting passes, as well as obviously having a powerful shot on him himself. When you look back to the Euros as well, he he was very much the talisman for Slovakia and the one who all their play went through. They direct all their play through him. And if he can get space and time on the ball, then it doesn't matter the fact he's in a team with a lot less um, sort of famous, well-known players. He's got the ability to just find passes that that nobody else can even see. And I just think, you know, the key to stopping them as a team would be to stop him. It would just be a question of how do you do it? And the answer is, I, I don't really know. He asked about about weaknesses. I, I can't really, from, attack, from, a, from an in-possession point of view, I don't really think that he has any weaknesses. Um, if you can keep the ball away from him, that's when you're going to um, have an impact on his play because he isn't great defensively. But you would argue that, he doesn't need to be, you know. I think he, um, I think he's he holds the key to Slovakia having any impact on any game, and as such, any opposition um, hold the key to stopping them if they can stop him individually. Yeah, and like you said, he, he's maybe he's maybe not the best defensively in terms of probably probably more in terms of like you know tackling and like winning the ball back in that regard. But I've I've certainly noticed over the years that. It, Interception-wise, he's such a smart player. Like he knows when to 
you can kind of see what opposition are going to do, and if he can get in the way of that pass, that's why we need to be really clever around him. I think because I think it would be easy to say, "Oh, he won't be a threat, or he won't be any problem so long as he doesn't have the ball." But if he's anywhere in the vicinity of the ball, he's more than capable of just stepping in, winning that ball, and then without even looking on either foot, playing a ball into the channel, and then suddenly we're on the back foot. So he's he's miles ahead of anything we've got. Anyway, I mean that's that's. You know, to say the least, uh, and I, th- I think a lot of people might think, "Oh, yeah, but he's only midfielder." I mean, it's, it's not like we're playing Poland and they've got you know Lewandowski up front. But I'd, I think a player like that does have the ability to completely run the show and totally disrupt what we're trying to do. And at the end of the day, we're the ones at home. We're the ones that need the points. All of them, like they can take a draw all day. Yeah. So we have to be able to not only play through them but play around him. And make sure that he doesn't uh, impact the game too much. And and sort of staying on uh, the, the midfield thing as well. Um, Martin Skriniar, who plays for Inter Milan, he's suspended for Slovakia, uh, which is it is a bit of a boon for us because he plays he plays centre back for his club, but at international level he plays at the base of midfield, um, and he's suspended for this game. So at least it's not us or not just us that have suffered losses in that part of the pitch. So maybe it'll maybe it'll sort of even itself out a bit. I don't know. Um, but I mean, what, what can you tell me about Skriniar anyway? I mean, is it is it a really good thing that he's not playing this game? Um, I think he's I think he's certainly a, a player who would have strengthened their team. Obviously, you don't get into Inter Milan's side, even even though they are not quite the team they were maybe five or ten years ago. Um, you don't get into their side without being a half decent footballer. And and with with Inter playing the way they are, they're kind of rejuvenated under Luciano Spalletti at the moment. They're looking a much stronger team, and he is definitely a part of that. So, um, he's definitely going to be a miss. Um, but equally, it kind of almost um allows you that little bit more kind of ability to focus on what what they are going to have remaining, which is Hamsik. And just to go back to that, um. We talked about the intelligence of Hamsik. I think we've got a player in our team who matches him for intelligence and guile and whatever you want to call it. But I think, like you said earlier, Darren Fletcher is such an underrated player. I think he's such an intelligent footballer. He's streets ahead of anything else that we've got. And I think he holds the key to kind of shutting them down from that point of view. I think he can certainly keep tabs on Hamsik and, uh, and, and hopefully break up their play from that point of view. Yeah, I, th- I think um, that pretty much has to be Darren Fletcher's number one job. I think his number one job has to be to just keep an eye on Hamzik. Not maybe you know, don't do like a, a Herrera on Hazard thing, or don't follow him <laughs> around the pitch and like man mark him out the game. But just when he gets into the into the zone of the pitch, that Fletcher's going to be occupying, which will all be between the back four and the midfield. Just he has to be totally aware of where he is all the time because you're right, he is such an intelligent player um, I, I, one, one of my favourite podcasts that I've heard um, I don't know if you've ever heard any of Graham Hunter's uh, big interviews but he, he did one with Aaron Fletcher and he was he was eulogising him, you know, he was saying yeah. maybe going a bit too far but he did compare him to basically being a bit of a Busquets figure which <laughs> I mean I can see where he's coming from but I Listen, mean, I maybe... 
Listen, I, I, I like Graham Hunter and I like those podcasts, but he compared Jodie Morris to Javi, so after that, I think everything he says with a pinch of salt, do you know what I mean? So. Aye, aye, fair enough. Uh, I, I think he is he is a bit fond, a wee bit of hyperbole, you know, but fair enough. We, we, we can let him away with it, you know, he's, he's a good guy. Uh, and, he's, and he's been on a WFI podcast before, Graham, so I mean, fair play, um, we can let him away with it. Um, but yeah, that's that, that will be has be his number one job just to kind of and I think that probably is the ideal player to do it really um, I mean yeah if Brown was fit obviously I think Brown would be playing but I think if you were to pick a, a natural sort of replacement for that role it would be him I, I don't think it would be anybody like James MacArthur I think MacArthur likes to sit a little further forward anyway um, but but then I'd say that I mean it's, the interesting thing is though um, kind of Going a little off topic, off the off the qualifiers here, but who do you? Because obviously, I think Fletcher's about 33, 34 now, and uh, Brown Hills Brown about thirty two. I would say yeah, something like that. Uh, about that. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. Uh, who who off the top of your head have we really got to play in that sort of role? Do you think going forward, like like young Scottish players that are maybe natural holders in midfield? I mean, who who do you think we can maybe bring in for like the next campaign? Do you know, it's something that I really feel is lacking in general. And I was actually thinking about that when I was looking through the squad. I was looking at the players that are there for all those. And I, I just don't see that next generation coming along. I think I think there are young players out there that might, you know, you know, John McGinn is obviously going to be one for the future, but certainly not in a holding role of any kind. Um, I, I don't know where the answer's coming from, to be honest, because... If I'm completely honest, the, the Scotland squad in general to me is full of players who, going back to that identity thing that we talked about, you know, they kind of these players kind of crop up out of nowhere for me, and and they all of a sudden they're in a Scotland shirt. You don't know where they came from, who they played for, what they've done to merit their their place in the team, and that's certainly how I feel with a lot of the Scotland players. So, to I struggle quite often to to familiarise myself with some of the players in the current squad, never mind, you know, try and visualise where the next kind of Scott Brown or Darren Fletcher or whoever is coming from, because arguably you would think if there was a next one of them on the pipeline, they would already be ingratiating them into the squad, because like you say, Scott Brown and and uh, Darren Fletcher are in their early, nearly mid-30s, so... You would be expecting somebody 10, 15 years their junior to already be kind of trying to make their mark and it just doesn't seem to be that there's anybody coming up close behind that can kind of make that make that impact. I might be being totally ignorant of, of Scottish football in general, but but it de- definitely doesn't seem to be that way. And as a Celtic fan, I can't see anybody coming up. Liam Henderson possibly, but he seems to have fits and starts of getting into the Celtic team and then disappearing for a while. I can't think of anybody else really. I I mean I was actually all the all the way through you talking there. I was actually thinking like, come on, think of somebody and you can sound like a smart ass and say, oh well, what about? <laughs> but no, I, I can't. I, I suppose there's maybe two names that did come to mind. Uh, one that is young and one that isn't so young but is uncapped. Uh, the latter would be. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, somebody like um, Shinny, who I know that he is more of a left back, but he has played midfield before for um, for Aberdeen. 
and he has been sort of clamouring to get in the squad for a while. A lot of people don't understand. Uh, Kid Aberdeen players in general, why are they not in the squad? It seems to be a, a massively overlooked club uh, for a few years now. But he could be one to come in. Uh, whether or not, see, there's that sort of old cliche, like, is he international quality? And you can look at the Scotland squad and say, all right, well, are any of them international quality? But I mean, in, in all seriousness, so, like, you know, could, could, could he make the step up? Who knows? He's probably, a, a, I think he is a player that probably should have been in a couple of squads by now. Um, but again, maybe Strachan just sees him as more of a left back, and we've got so many left backs, it's not even funny. I mean, I mm. could sit here and name 10, and there's another five that I've left off, you know. Uh, but the other option, I think, possibly, although I would rather see him develop as a centre half, uh, would be John Souter, because he's played the deep line midfield role before, and he, he, more, he is more of a centre back these days. Um, but I think he is so comfortable on the ball, though. I mean, that's that's one of his uh, main attributes, that you could maybe see him playing that role. But, I mean, again, it depends what kind of player we're wanting though, and what would be necessary for Scotland. And I think, again, this comes back to this sort of identity thing that we're talking about. Because John Sutter would probably be a, be a better sort of deep-line playmaker in that position as opposed to a ball winner, you know? Yeah. And so, but would would we have the, the self-belief enough to really foster that style of play where we where we would be comfortable enough as a nation to say, you know, look at this guy at the base of midfield, that this isn't a Claude McAuley, this is a Sergio Busquets sort of player, you know, like we want to pass the team, uh, we want to, to build from deep rather than just win it and pass it five yards on to somebody that's better, you know. Um but yeah, other than that, I can't really think about it. I mean, you make it a bunch of Rangers and Aberdeen fans coming in saying Ryan Jack or something, but no, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I don't, I don't think so somehow. But uh, well, before we before we continue looking on to the uh, Slovakia and Slovenia games, uh, I remember uh, one of the things that we were discussing uh, in the build up to this pod was the fact that you said that you basically. You do you do have your own opinions on striking to say the least. Uh, I, I don't know I don't know how many of them maybe stem from uh, his time at Celtic or if it's just based on Scotland. But I, I guess we'll find out in a minute. But how has your views on striking maybe changed over the course of the campaign, or have they changed? Do you think he's maybe got a little bit lucky that he's kind of just like copy pasted some Celtic stuff and then you know put some stuff around it? But the first four games were a disaster. The next four games he got ten points and we've got two left. So. Just maybe build on that. Like, like, what is your opinions on them, and have they changed at all? I think um, not to keep banging on about it, but it genuinely was my thought about them in general before we started the pod. Is the problems with Scotland's identity and a style of play that we can really identify with them, and a team that we could say that's a Scotland team. I think all the problems with all of that roots from the fact that Gordon Strachan as a manager I don't feel has a particular style of play he seems to you know you get managers coming into a club or coming into a national team and and you see them look at Pep Guardiola at Man City and, and, and before at Barcelona you know no matter the quality of the players that he had he's got a very specific style that he wants to play and he will find players to match that style now I am not suggesting that Gordon Strachan has ever had anything of the quality of player that that Pep Guardiola has had to deal with. But what I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is that Strachan doesn't seem to come in and and try and imprint his style on anything. He doesn't appear to have any kind of focus or philosophy that he's working towards when he comes into a team. He kind of seems 
in my opinion, to kind of do a mix and a match job and kind of work with what he's got and 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 do what he can. But if it doesn't work out, that's kind of fair enough. And I appreciate from a national team point of view, you've only got the players for so long. There's only so much you can do with them. There's only so much of a, an ethos that you can sort of imprint. But I do feel like there's more he could do. He could have more of an impact and say he's been there long enough now that he could have worked with the players at an appropriate length of time to say whatever way you play at with your clubs, this is how I want you to play when you're a Scotland player. This is the system we are going to adopt. This is how we are going to approach games because, okay, if you're a better team, you can adapt the way you play to, you know, try and focus on a weak link of the opposition or try and outsmart them in a certain way. But with Scotland, really, we're the underdogs most of the time. So we have to, in my opinion, have a fixed style that we play to make it difficult for the opposition and take our chances when we get them. And he doesn't really seem to have, you know, a set a set way of playing. The, the statistics might not back me up, but this is just how I see it when I'm looking. And I think that's the way, the most frustrating thing. I think it was the same at Celtic. You know, when I look back at Tommy Burns' team of the 1990s, when I look at Martin O'Neill's team, when I look at, you know, older teams of, of generations gone by, you can almost name a starting lineup that each of those managers had and a style of play that they had and, and a manner in which they wanted to play. Having been a Celtic supporter and been to a majority of matches with a season ticket with Gordon Strachan, I couldn't really name you an 11 that he used to put out regularly that I would say played with a particular style that would, you know always approach a game in a certain way. He was very lucky that he had somebody like Shunsuke Nakamura who could, you know, give that piece of magic. And in the Scotland squad, we don't have anybody of that quality that's going to be able to do that. So where is he going to get his kind of his spark from that's going to kind of get him out of jail? I mean, I'm going on here, but as you can tell, I'm striking to me is a bit kind of... <sighs> He's, he's everything that Scotland is to me. He's, he's got no real football and identity and no real plan for going forward. And I think that's what we need. Aye, he's, um, he's very much a, probably much more of a man manager, I would say, because if you, if you, every press conference, be it pre-match, post-match, whatever, uh, and once you notice this, by the way, you can't ever unnotice it. But the amount that he talks about and uses this phrase, players feeling good about themselves. That's always what he talks about. It's always about the the confidence of players coming in from uh, their clubs and whether or not they're doing well. And he'll use that as a positive. So, for example, obviously, over the last few months, he'll have Celtic players coming in and he'll say they're all feeling good about themselves because, you know, they've been unbeaten in about 14,000 games, you know, compared to, say, when... But, but, but he says that and then... He's got certain stalwarts that he absolutely sticks with, like Grant Hanley, who I... Shot. Yeah, I can't remember the last time the guy had a good game, so I don't understand why he would ever feel good about himself, but he's constantly in the squad. Aye, aye, And And there's other players, I've picked him out at random, so no offence, Grant, if you're listening, but but (laughs) there are other players of that ilk where, yes, in my opinion, as a national manager, you should 
pick players who are on form, pick players who are in the habit of winning because it'll be easier for them to transfer that between teams. But if you're going to adopt that stance, then stick with it in your selections. And I don't think he does that. I think he sticks with the same players throughout. And I, I was looking through the squad earlier and I was just a bit like, it's all the same faces and, and, and a lot of them, some of them, Hanley again, for example, I don't think he started right. a game this season for Norwich and it's like, do you just do you just recycle it and then if anybody's injured, you pick a different name? That's that's what it looks like, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, because I was I was actually kind of, to an extent, sort of worried or like, during the Mulder game, uh, Mulgrew, I was Mulgrew went off injured and then he brought on Hanley and I'm thinking, why why him? Why? Why is he the one you brought on? You know, what I mean, like that doesn't make sense to me. Like, but he's always got this. Uh, he's got this weird faith in it, and it's kind of where I was going actually. Where like, you know, can you, you see that he, he always says, you know, he talks about players feeling good about himself, but he, he'll use that in different ways depending on who he's talking about. So, like I said, about the Celtic players, he uses it as a positive. Oh, they're feeling good about himself, blah blah. blah. Or in kind of maybe time compassed uh, before he uh, would actually ever really bother using Griffiths up front, so our options would be, what, like, Chris Martin, Stephen Fletcher, Jordan Rhodes, blah, 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 right? He would always call up a squad, unlike Naismith as well, so he'd call up a squad and uh, he would talk about the strikers and say, well, you know, um, that's all the options we've got. Um, none of them are really feeling that good of themselves because they're not playing that regular for their clubs, but, you know, we need to make do. And say, well, not, not really. Because there's other people you could have called up that are playing and you just haven't. So it seems to be, a, it's like a common phrase for him, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't mean the same thing every time. And like I said, he sort of moans it to whatever he's trying to say at the time. But I think, yeah, I think to an extent, he's kind of, yeah, he is lucky that he's got this core of Celtic players, for example, that he can build around. Um, but equally, you need to give him credit for kind of being smart enough to just go, ah, you know what, let's just use that. But I think yeah, there, there's absolutely there's absolutely no shame in doing that. You know, like uh, a lot of the Germany teams of the past few years that have been so successful have been built mainly on, you know, two successful teams from their domestic league, which is Bayern Munich and, and Dortmund. Most of aye, their players aye. came from those two teams. Spain, for the majority of their dominant period, was built on, you know, Xavi, Iniesta, Piquet, Puyol, you know, a core of Barcelona players who were the best club team in the world at the time. So it's not, I don't think it should be an embarrassment for him to say, we have a very good core of players playing for a very good team. If we can transfer what they're doing to the national team, then why not do it? I think I think that's an appropriate way to go, but there are other positions where, he seems to have faith with certain players that you just think, where do they fit into the plan? Do they fit into the plan or are they just making up the numbers outside of this core of players that are coming from the, the sort of informed team? Ah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I think, I think kind of given the next two games, we'll see how they go and then we'll, we'll use that to see how badly we actually beat him in the future because he might actually get away with it. Um, it, might, it might turn out to be a case of better late than never, we'll see. But uh, kind of going back to looking forward to the Slovakia game then, um, 
Celtic and Slovakia legend Lubo Mravchik, you know, who I'm sure you're a big fan of, and yes, yeah. r- r- rightly so. Uh, he, <laughs> he said that he expects the game to be a draw, and he has bemoaned the fact that some of their key players have lacked regular action for their clubs, kind of what we're talking about with Scotland there. So players like Vladimir Weiss and uh, Martin Scuttle haven't actually played that much at club level. Um, and their manager is also, he's only called up one recognised centre-forward, Adam Nemec, who himself has came out and said that he doesn't expect to be phased by the Hamden atmosphere event and he may actually use it as a positive because he, he says that even if the um, even if all that noise is kind of going against you, you can still use it as a as a basis for, for performance um, but do you think these issues uh, namely the fact that some players haven't, or some key players you would say for Slovakia that they haven't played a lot at club level, do you think these issues can be pounced upon or are they really not that important? Um, I think I think certainly from a fitness point of view, the, the, you know your skirtles and vices um, and players of that ilk who aren't getting a game at their clubs are, are maybe not going to be quite as match sharp, and that's always going to be an advantage. But you also have to understand that the reason that they're getting back into the Slovakia squad is kind of in opposition to what I just said about Scotland players getting back in. They're getting back in because they are by far and away some of the best quality players that that country has. So even though they're maybe not getting games for their clubs, it's arguably because they're playing for clubs at a slightly higher level than anybody else that would be getting into the national team. So I don't think you can discount how good quality of players they are, but I certainly think you should be looking to exploit, particularly Skirtle at the back if he starts. He's got to be going to be suffering from a bit of lack of match sharpness if he's not been playing and uh, that's something that you've got to take advantage of which I'm sure somebody like Lee Griffiths who is kind of playing as well as he could play at the moment scoring goals he's he's certainly going to take advantage of that I would think Oh I'm not going to lie I mean the idea of a rusty Martin Scarlett just excites me because surely that is a walking red card waiting to happen especially with somebody like Griffiths because again going back to that first game uh, the 3-0 loss I mean like I mentioned at the time uh, we just didn't have any pace going against them and we played into their strengths I mean at the end of the day there's one thing Martin Scott all can do he can win a header you know, and that's he doesn't like people running behind him he doesn't like people getting close to him and we never exploited that at all and I think it's time that we did that and it looks like we will because I, I would I would be amazed if, if we look at the team uh, for Thursday and Griffiths isn't starting up front I mean if, if he isn't Strachan should just be sacked on the spot right there <laughs> yeah. and then even Mark, Mark McGee can come in there that game because we may as well lose it you know why not but yeah I, I think I think Griffiths himself will be looking forward to that game and especially if he knows that Scotland hasn't played that much because, yeah, yeah, that is a player you can get to, you know, and it is maybe somebody that you can almost wind up a little bit as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that and it should be an interesting duel. Um, well, I have a few words here on the Slovenia game, but I, I think my, my thinking was that it's kind of hard to look forward to that without kind of getting the Slovakia game out of the way first because we don't know what the game means until the game on Thursday is out of the way because if we draw or lose on Thursday then Slovenia game just doesn't really matter to be honest but um, I think it I think it's almost been forgotten by a lot of people and like I just said that's understandable because I think all the focus has to be on Thursday and then 
after that go on to Slovenia again. But I think it will be a tricky test, especially away. I mean, at the end of the day, we probably should have beaten them by more than one nil in the home game because, you know, Griffiths obviously hit the woodwork twice in the first half. I uh, was unlucky because he, he went off near the start of the, uh, the second half because near the end of the first half, Jan Oblak uh, decided to just sort of kung fu him in the back. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how... I don't, I keep, there seems to be a thing that keepers get away with that, you know, just like sort of jumping for the ball, but they, they put their knee up for some reason. I don't know why that's allowed, but there we go. Um, but either everybody, way... Everybody everybody argues that goalkeepers are protected when they get aye, challenged. I think they aye, do a exactly. good enough job protecting themselves. Ab- absolutely, absolutely. But uh, but, but that aside, uh, I, there is a very strong case to be made that Jan Oblak could be not just one of, but he could be the best goalkeeper in the world right now. And if anybody thinks that that's not true, then I, I just think they haven't seen him enough because he's he is phenomenal he's amazing at everything uh maybe yeah maybe maybe the hair may have the edge sometimes on some of the the short stopping up close but other than that i would say all blacks a superior goalkeeper so that that could be a problem in itself uh and also they've got kevin campbell who in the summer moved to uh, rb leipzig for quite big money and he um the previous summer he actually he, he just moved to leverkusen i think from dortmund so he is he is a very good player he's a very very technical midfielder um can a very hard worker as well he's a very good creator but we did actually keep him very quiet at hamden uh, so we'll need to replicate that away a bit like Hamzik, he's, he's not on the level of Hamzik, I would say, but he is one of the one of the more standout players. But at the end of the day, if I remember right, I think uh, I think England went away to Slovenia and drew nil nil, um, and they had a really outstanding Joe Hart save to thank for that. So I mean, you know, they're, they're definitely no mugs, and it's not an easy place to go. But hopefully, if we can get a win on Thursday, then we can go there knowing, you know. This is it. This is the final hurdle. You know, let's just win this game and then we can take the playoffs as they come. But at the end of the day, we are Scotland, so you know we can't really <laughs> we, we can't rely on too much. But uh, well, but before we get to the point where we where we pick our our starting lineups for Thursday and possibly beyond, uh, we've got a few questions submitted here. Um, by submitted, I mean asked a few pals. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> so. Let's see. Well, my friend Alan Smith here, not the ex United and Leeds player or the commentator, but my mate who I've went to a lot of games with. Uh, the first question from him is um, he's basically asking should Strachan, and this is probably a good question for you actually, uh, since you're a Celtic fan, um, should Strachan persevere with James Forrest given that the winger is repeatedly shown that he's either unwilling or unable to replicate his club form for Scotland. So should he should he finally go, you know what, no, out and let's bring in Ryan Fraser or whatever, or should he give him another chance? Because I think he has looked a bit better in his last few games for Scotland, but he still, you know, like I still I don't exactly see him beating people. You know, uh, I, I don't see him like beating his fullback, getting a cross in or cutting in and actually like shooting with any sort of threat. Um, he, he's been a very poor performer for Scotland for a long time, in my opinion. Um, so I'd be interested to see what you because I, I know that a lot of Celtic fans have kind of had that feeling for him for Celtic that he's very, very hot and cold. Sometimes, even when he's hot, it kind of it's only for like certain periods of the game. So, I mean, what do you think? Would, would you start him, uh, or would you say it's maybe time for somebody else to come in? James Forrest is one of these ones that splits from a Celtic supporting point of view seems to split the support straight down the middle you know 
half half the people love him, half the people I don't think anybody hates him, but half the people don't like him, you know. No. I think he um for me he's got a little bit of an issue with uh running into dead ends. He can maybe get past a player but he's then got no end product to it or he'll quite often, you know, just head down and run for the byline and not really have a an apparent, you know, kind of idea of what he's going to do until he gets to the ball. That seems to be the way he works. Having said that, I'm very reluctant to, you know, speak too much against him because I have been watching games previously where he does very little and then all of a sudden he, he kind of pops up with a cross or even a goal and he just seems to have that ability to just create something almost out of nothing just on the odd occasion. For me personally, I think there's other players who who contribute more all over the field and who are slightly better quality. I'm a really big fan of Matt Phillips at West Bromwich Albion. I think he is just a little bit of a higher class of player, somebody who I think just brings a little bit more to the team that I would prefer to see in place of somebody like Forrest. So And he, he lifts his head as well. That's you know, yeah. unlike Forrest. He definitely he plays with his head up all the time. He was brilliant against Lithuania. Yeah, I think I think somebody like that would be my preferred option. I think James Forrest potentially actually if you flipped his role round and had him coming off the bench if you were struggling to create anything he might be more effective then against a tired opposition but from the start I would definitely be going with somebody else I I, I think uh, oh actually before I go on to that I just remembered um, I don't know if you've seen this Laura but speaking of wingers uh, Matt Ritchie has also pulled out the squad uh, he's pulled out injured as well so I think that might be a bit of a well not a problem because I don't think he'd necessarily be starting but I think he's a very good option at being off the bench he's a he's a very hard worker he's got a brilliant delivery um, especially from set pieces although that might be less um, important if Griffiths is still on the pitch um, but yeah he, he's somebody that's pulled out but yeah I, I think a goal that sums James Forrest up was I can't quite remember who it was, maybe you can tell me but it was, I think it was one of the qualifiers for this year's Champions League uh, and it may have been Sinclair uh, gave the ball out to Forrest Forrest takes an absolutely horrific first touch, it is like really really bad I know but exactly then, the one you're talking about but then absolutely rifles it in from like yeah. an, a, an absurd angle that no one should ever score from this, this is what I'm talking about, Lou. He, he quite often seems to do stuff almost by accident. It's like like you're saying <laughs> about that that horrendous first touch. He quite often has a really bad first touch, and it and it's actually been shown up more in the Celtic team since Brendan Rodgers has come in because he's implemented this passing style of play that you knock the ball about. You know how many goals have we seen Celtic score where there's been 25, 26, 27 passes before the ball ends yeah. up in the net. And and Forrest quite often is is the weak link in any move like that because the minute the ball gets to him, it's almost running away from him because of that bad first touch. And like you say, he almost shot as if as if I've got nothing or, else to do here. I yeah, well. I've got, I, I may as well just rifle it because I'm not going to get a good touch on it the second time anyway. And it was in fact it was that game I was talking about that I'm reluctant to to slag him off too much because he was not having a good game that game. He was yep. running into dead ends. He was doing absolutely nothing. And then, like you say, this shot out of absolutely nothing, and he scored the goal that effectively killed off the tie for us. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a weird kind of juxtaposition that he that seems to have him just 
just kind of do enough to stay in the squads, I think, when I think there's players with a lot better natural ability than him. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that that could almost it could almost be a vine, you know, just that touch and that finish that could really <laughs> that could sum up James Forrest. You know, the, the the touch of a dying elephant and then a shot like Pavel Nedved. I don't <laughs> understand how he did that, but fair enough. Uh, the next question uh, is another one from uh, Alan: Is um, if Scotland fail to qualify, is it time for Strachan to go? Uh, I think this question's a little tougher to answer now than it would have been a year or so ago, um, and I think maybe in addition to your answer, if your answer is yes, he should go who then would come in and maybe that's an issue in itself it's a depressing prospect but there's only one person that you're arguably going to go for if you're going to go for another manager and and you turf him out and that's David Moyes but like I mean what is what is he going to that is and I'm saying that not because I would want David Moyes I'm just saying from years of observing how the Scottish FA think and work there's no doubt in my mind he would end up being the manager um I would prefer, however, to to look at somebody, you know, somebody like maybe Tommy Wright at St Johnston, who's done such an amazing job in getting them to play as well as they have, getting them so high up in the SPL table and an absolute shoestring budget. The only problem is that, as I said before, being an international manager is such a different ballgame. You don't have time to work with players you don't have time to instill certain values in them the way you do at a club so would he be as effective um, Mm. at international level as he has been with St Johnston but you're kind of at the point where you think do we have anything to lose by just going a little bit left field like that and trying something like that David Moyes will bring nothing exciting to the Scotland setup if he does come in He'll glad hand all the big name players if we have any big name players and that's as much as he'll do. I don't think he'll bring anything new. I think he should give it to somebody who is a little bit unexpected, who probably doesn't expect it themselves and sees a little bit more honour in being this the Scotland manager than it just being another thing to tick off your CV. I think Tommy Wright would be my my option just to just to try something different. And and certainly yes. In my opinion, if we don't qualify, Strachan's had enough time to do what he can do. We would have to try something new at this point for me. Before we even go on and, and maybe name some potential, or at least in my opinion, who could be potential targets to succeed Strachan, I'm somebody that, that uh, actually had, I wouldn't even say semi-realistic, but I had hopes that we would approach Marcelo Bielsa. But, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, that, that it would have happened. I'm just saying at the time he was unemployed, he loves international football, and why not? That's all I'm saying. But, um, Do you know, if, if, if Bielsa came, I honestly, I think I would die of excitement because oh, it would I, just... I would have died. Yeah, I would have absolutely died on the spot. Yeah. It, it would just signal something so completely different. But as I said before, I still think that if the Scottish FA had Bielsa and David Moyes sitting in front of them, <laughs> they would go for David Moyes. And I know that is a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm telling well, there's nothing they've done in the past to prove yeah. to me that that wouldn't be the case. And like, it's actually hard to envision two more polar opposite, <laughs> you know, you know, sort of be it managers, human beings, even, you know. One, uh, one is a tactical visionary with a, a new idea of how to play football that he tries to imprint everywhere he goes, and the other is Bielsa. 
Well, aye, that's 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 one way of looking at it, I suppose. Um, aye, but no, but in all seasons, or like, I think, um, I would, well, I don't know, but I, I think that maybe it's been long enough since Bertie votes that maybe the idea of somebody foreign coming in wouldn't be as horrifying as it would have been, you know, five or ten years ago. Um, because the thing is, right, and the only reason I say that is that if you look at the budget that the SFA have got to work with in terms of a salary, we could afford half the Bundesliga for a start, you yeah. know, and it's, um, but then equally it's not that simple because at the end of the day, it's about getting somebody who maybe at that stage of their career thinks, you know what, international football, that might be a shout because there's even Scottish options that I think we should go for that I think maybe they wouldn't necessarily be interested, uh, as in the people themselves wouldn't be interested because at this stage in their career they're maybe thinking about going elsewhere, um, maybe I moved down south or something. And like the one that always strings to mind for me would be Derek McInnes. I think he'd be brilliant. And he's got, he, he does have a really nice brand of football that he likes to play. He does have really good ideas and he's not too afraid of like maybe bringing in, you know, young players and stuff like that and maybe try to set up a core identity to play from. But if you're Dennett McInnes, why why would why would you go for that job at his age as well? I mean, he is quite young. Surely his next move, because you've seen him linked with the uh, the Sunderland job in the summer, and he actually went and interviewed for it, and he turned it down. Like he's got his head screwed on, you know. Like yeah. he knows that if he has another really good year with Aberdeen, if he could even, you know, obviously we're, we're not talking about challenging for the title here, right? But I mean, if he can close that gap a wee bit to Celtic and keep impressing, and also, you know. A byproduct of that would be like finishing above Rangers again, who have got a much bigger budget and X, Y, and Z. Like, then he knows that people down south, like clubs, be it at the lower end of the Premiership or or mid to upper Championship, will be looking at him, and he knows that 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 could be an avenue for him. So, why would he necessarily maybe turn around and say, you know what, I the Scotland job because maybe maybe as a Scotsman. He'd be interested. Um, definitely financially, they could they could uh, compensate him. But uh, another option as well, I think. Again, he's probably been the same sort of boat as um, uh, as McInnes, as somebody like Michael O'Neill. But that would be maybe a sideways move for him going from like Northern Ireland to Scotland because it only there's reason to bring it up, I suppose, because he does, uh, or sorry, he could earn more money in Scotland. Uh, he already lives in Scotland, yeah. But yeah, but would he maybe see his next move as being like in a in a club management at a pretty decent level? Um, I think or, the only thing with Michael O'Neill is, you know, he's not going to achieve any more at international level probably than he already has done with Northern I, I Ireland. Guess so. I guess and I so, think I, I think he, he maybe would be looking at that and going. At least he's got the investment in Northern Ireland of it being his home country. He's got a reason to. To, yeah, you know, yeah. a- approach it and try and do his best for them, but I don't see why the passion would hit him to do that for Scotland. I think he would, like you say, probably be looking to use what is a considerable kind of cachet that he's got from what he's done with Northern Ireland to kind of put himself in the frame for some of the more high-profile jobs in England. Um, I think that I think the Derek McInnes thing you say is a really interesting one because there's two ways to look at it. On one sense. He's doing so well in club management that you think, why would he go for it? But also, I think he's the type of guy that possibly would go into the FA and say, listen, I will take this job if you understand that my job as a Scotland manager will not be just to 
get the Scotland squad as it is to the next major tournament. I think he's somebody that could, you know, come in and look at the structure from the ground up and kind of say, right, we're going to imprint a way of playing that's going to filter through from the under-15s right up to the senior squad so that by the time a player who's been playing through all the levels gets up to the senior squad in 10 years' time, they're playing a brand of football that they're familiar with no matter what other club they're playing for, no matter what team they're playing for. I just finished reading um, a few weeks ago Dash Reboot by Raphael Honigstein. Oh, and it, great book. It talks about the way uh, Jürgen Klinsmann came in and, and you know restructured the entire way that the German coaching system works. Now, I'm not saying that Scotland have the money or the the ability to completely restructure the, the whole process in that manner, but there are elements of it that you could take and say, well, we're at least going to have a football and philosophy tactically that we imprint on all our teams from the under-15s right up to the senior squad or whatever you want to call it. And that way that thing that we keep going back to about identity, players know from their very young, right, I'm a Scotland player, and when I'm a Scotland player, this is how I play. That's how all the successful national teams have done it over the past decade or so. Spain, um, Germany, Argentina, Italy, you know, they've all got specific ways of playing that I think is coached into them from a very young age. And I think if we took that approach and had somebody like Derek McInnes who has an actual football philosophy that he can put in place, it might be a, a more successful route than just going from tournament to tournament and trying to find that one guy who'll fluke us into the next World Cup or the next Euros and then we'll be missing from the next lot for the next 20 years, you know what I mean? I absolutely, because I, I, I said in the last pod that I did with Stevie, uh, if I was given the choice of, you know, like qualifying for next tournaments or whatever or missing out for the next 10 years if it means we're building something I'll miss out for the next 10 years all day long like I, I would happily sit out if it means we're actually building something if we are building a long term success like a, a progression plan for all these young kids that we see you know because you watch like our under 16s or even up to like under 19s and then suddenly they'll, they'll just they'll fall off the map you know they'll get amazing results and they'll play really good football and then there seems to be no I guess there's a similar problem in like England as well you know we're like if you look at a lot of their under twenty one players or whatever, like they're all at Chelsea and they've played like two games in six years because they've been out on loan fifteen times, you know, like it's you could you could argue it's a similar problem up here. So I mean I I would take us not qualifying again if it meant we took the long game, you know, and we actually built something that meant that we did have an identity, that we did have a more of a conveyor belt of players rather than just, you know, hoping that somebody kicks on that little bit extra bit. Uh, right, I know we're running on you here, so we've got one more question, which I'll answer quickly, uh, yeah. because it's uh, this one's from James Knowlton, that's the WFI's editor-in-chief, etc. Uh, he asks us to look a little deeper into the future to ask a bit of a twofold question. First, uh, firstly, which suitor builder will play for Scotland first? Surely it's John, because Harry's in, like, the Stoke development squad. Uh, <laughs> and, and which will end up as a better player. Frankly, I don't care as long as they're both good and can play together uh, because Agreed. we need centre halves and we need them Agreed. badly. Uh, right, so to round this up, I believe you've picked a starting lineup, and you said you were going to explain it a bit because I think, I think maybe some of it's a little unexpected. So if you want to run us through it, um, let's hear it. Yeah, so um, as far as 
in goals goes, I'm not his biggest fan, but Craig Gordon, I think of the three goalies in the squad, I think he's probably the best one that we have. So I would go with him. I would then have a back four of um, Tierney, Mulgrew, Berra and Whitaker. Um, as far as of the un- unexpected ones of those, I think Whitaker might be the most unexpected, but he's come back to Hibs. He's playing as part of a very strong Hibs team that is, um, you know, on form for the season. Okay, they're conceding goals, but he he is a key part of that. He also brings a lot of experience to the table. He's played for the team so often before. Um, and, and just generally, I think he's he's as good a quality footballer as, as we've probably got in the squad. So I would definitely have him in. Um, Darren Fletcher and James MacArthur in midfield. Fletcher, for obvious reasons, he's for me, he's probably the most intelligent footballer that we've got in the squad. I think he's key to blocking off somebody like Hamshuk, as we talked about earlier. And James MacArthur, I think... Although he's not having the best of times playing at Crystal Palace and they as a club and as a team are not um, getting things together this season, I think as an individual player and put into a team that is um, playing a little bit better, he's got you know a footballing brain and a distribution that I think he can certainly use to our advantage to try and kind of find players further forward. Uh, I would then go, so they're, they're central to midfield, I then think because we're at home, I think we should be adventurous. I think we should go for it. So I think I would play three attacking midfielders. I would play Bannon, McGinn and Phillips. Phillips, who I've already spoken about earlier, I think he's a great player. I think he's mobile. I think he, like you said, he he gets his head up. He looks for the pass. Um, McGinn, I think just going on what we talked about earlier, about picking form players. I think he's bang on form. I think he's a goal threat. I think he's a very hard-working player. He'll work hard even if he's not got the ball um, to win it back. And he's very creative going forward. And Bannon is just off the back of a very convincing uh, 3-0 win with Sheffield Wednesday over Leeds. Um, and I think he's got that little bit touch of um, touch of quality and, and ability to pass the ball that I think we could do with. And then up front, Griffiths, because basically out of all the strikers we have, I think he's the one that poses the most threat. So it's quite an attacking team. I think it it kind of, it might leave us with holes, but I think we we are at the stage of the qualification period where we can't really afford to sit back too much. We need to take games with a scruff of the neck and try and win that playoff place for ourselves, because I think that's the only way it's going to go, really. No, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I would disagree wholeheartedly with Whitaker's inclusion, but that's fair enough. It's <laughs> not my team, it's yours. So uh, I, I actually think I said in the last podcast uh, that me and my mate Alan, who asked a couple of questions, actually, uh, we used to play a game where we would watch and see how many times he would get caught out of position because <laughs> it, it happened quite a lot uh, for Scotland. But no, that's I, I, I can I, I, I like the logic though for the rest of the team, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I, I do get the logic for, for uh, Whitaker because I suppose the plus side of that would be that you do get Tierney back on his natural side where he's more dangerous uh, and probably more consistent from a defensive point of view as well. But then yeah. my, my point would be, well, where's Andy Robertson? I mean, come on, he's I, I was I was sitting thinking oh, people are going to call me out for leaving out Andy Robertson, but I, I'm just I, I'm I'm very kind of weird about playing a left-footed player as a right back. I think it leaves you open to you know being kind of caught on the outside, and I, I think therefore I wouldn't like to play Tierney on the right hand side. I wouldn't like to play Robertson on the right hand side, and therefore out of the two of them, I would rather have Tierney 
um, on the left, probably my own bias, obviously, but certainly I would understand if you maybe put Robertson at left back and then switch Tierney to the right, because as you say, that's something that he's done before. See, I, I, I do, again, I, I do understand your logic there, but I mean, my thinking about it is that if you've got Tierney on the right, he's so good, you can you can put him in goal. So, yeah. he, you know, he, he can deal with it. He's, he's already proved that, I think, a few games. So, I think, uh, and it's weird because I think for a few games now, our defence has actually looked all right. And it's, um, to an extent, it's kind of like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. However, yeah. um, just very quickly, I suppose I run through my lineup as well. Uh, and even though it ain't broke, I'm going to fix it a little bit. Uh, so... Yep, Gordon and goal, and then my back four from left to right would be Robertson, uh, Liam Cooper, Berra, and Tierney. Uh, I think Cooper deserves to come in. Uh, I think he's probably he's actually a wee bit similar to Mulgrew, but just that maybe a, a wee bit at a higher level just now, and uh, mm-hmm. playing it playing in a team that's playing better. And I, I think it's I think it's about time that he, they actually got a cap because I mean everybody knows our problems with centre back at the moment, and uh, I think Bear has been doing well enough playing uh, interestingly playing on the right of a central parent, even though he's he's left footed because Liam Cooper's left footed as well. Um, Bear has actually got experience of that when he's at Ipswich when he played alongside uh, Tommy Smith, I think it was. So yeah. it's it's not too awkward for him, so he can he can do it. Um, I guess it'd be like 4-3-3 for me, so um, my Mitchell 3 would be like Fletcher sitting and then uh, I think I'd start McGregor as one of the more advanced two. And on the on the other side, I'm kind of torn, but I think, you know what, I, why not? I mean, he gets a lot of stick, but I think I would start Barry Bannon because he's been phenomenal this season. He was brilliant in the win over Leeds, uh, as you mentioned, um, and that would sound worrying that they lost 3-0 and were you know, bringing in Liam Cooper, but I think he missed that game through uh, yeah, suspension. Yeah, no, he, he so, wasn't playing that. Uh, so, I mean, that's why, that's why, you see, so he's, he's keeping himself fresh, he meant it. Uh, but I, uh, so I'll probably play those three midfield, and I, he's, he's just such a nice wee creative player, you know, I, mean, I think sometimes he can lose his way a wee bit, he does do that Hollywood pass a wee bit too much, but he is also so smart, his vision is like, miles ahead of most people in the squad so I would play him and then my front three from left to right I would probably go Phillips, Griffiths and uh, Ryan Fraser because I think it's about time Ryan Fraser got a proper run out for Scotland It's um, we've been dying for it I think for a while but then he's been a wee bit unlucky because I think the first time we were called up he got injured and then um, he never really got the requisite minutes last time I, mean, I thought he'd, I think he he probably would have got a run out last time against Malta at least off the bench but then Mulgrew got injured so uh, I think that maybe scuppered the plans there but aye right well I guess we'll wrap it up there uh, have you got anything you want to plug like any websites you know your Twitter or whatever uh, let's, let's hear it um, yeah I've got my own uh, blog I haven't posted on it for a while but I do periodically it's www.thecounterpress.wordpress.com um, and I do write for a bunch of other sites but the best way to keep track of what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about things is just follow my Twitter which is basically my own stream of consciousness um, it's at lbrad88 and you can find me on there Excellent, and uh, I can I can attest for the quality of the blog. It's very good. I've read some. Of it. It's it's a good blog, so de- people should definitely check it out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Odnedge. That's O D N E J. If there's any hackers out there that could hack into at Gendo and then give me the password for it, I'd be very grateful, and I would pay pal you some money. Um, other than that, just you know, keep listening to Wong Football Index. 
on SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever. Go to worldfootballindex.com for some columns. Follow them on Twitter at worldfootballi. And yeah, as always, come on Scotland. <laughs>